sometimes <laughs> I feel a little panicked. <laughs> uh, as panicky as Chicken Little. The sky is falling. The sky is falling. I look around our world and I, and I feel that panic. I feel like everything is falling apart. And I have to admit to you that I talk about Chicken Little not having done a Google search about Chicken Little. I don't know if it's still appropriate to, to refer to him or not. Or maybe it's called sizeism to call him little. Or maybe he's too young to have decided whether he wants to identify as a chicken at all. Maybe I should refer to him as height-challenged poultry. But, but then why refer to his size at all? Why is that important? And why should chickens be put in such a bad light? Maybe the story should be told. It ran around saying, the sky is falling, the sky is falling. Imagine how bland our world would be. And will be when every adjective is stripped away, when the spectrum of the beauty that God has created is reduced to neutrality. You think I'm kidding about the panic, about the chicken little search. I'm really not because as I'm I'm thinking this like, oh, we got a live stream going now, right? Anybody can listen. Anybody can hear. I might get fired. I might lose my job. People might stand in the streets in protest. Now, that's not likely to happen because <laughs> nobody's lining up to hear me preach. <laughs> and our live stream views are not setting any records. Let me just tell you uh, that. The sky might not be falling, but, but the media stars are falling, aren't they? Right and left one after the other, losing jobs they've held long-term because they said words that don't fit with the agenda. So honestly, 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 I could feel a little panicky. You could feel a little panicky, except, except for a Palm Sunday parade. Now, how can a Palm Sunday parade keep you and me from panic? I'm so glad you asked that question. Because here's how I can do it. It can teach us that we must bow down so that we can rise above the chaos and the confusion and lead the way towards something so much more beautiful. We bow down so that we can rise up and lead the way to something much more beautiful. That's what I want to talk about this morning as we return once again to Uh, The Great Commission, so if you have your Bibles, if you'll open them and turn to the Gospel of Matthew, the 28th chapter, beginning in the 16th verse, and when you found your place in your Bible or even in the bulletin, uh, the passage is printed there, let's stand so that we might hear read together the word of the living God. Matthew chapter 28, beginning in verse 16, this is the word of the Lord. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Let's pray. Lord, how 
familiar these verses already were and, and even now becoming to us as we look at them week after week. Lord, I pray that your spirit would give us fresh eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts to hear even more truth that's here, Lord. It's a depth of it for us. So we need you to be our teacher. We thank you that we'll, you will be. You promise that where your word is read and heard, as has been done today, there in that place is your blessing. So we look now for your blessing uh, on us as we come together around your word. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. As you know, for the last few weeks, we've been looking at this mission that Jesus gave uh, to his 11 apostles to go and to make disciples. This morning, we're going to look at the objects of their mission. In other words, who is it that should or could become a disciple of Christ? Jesus commands his disciples here that they are to make disciples of all nations. Now, when Jesus says all, he means all. And all by nature of its definition means that nothing is excluded. Therefore, if one nation, if, if one race is excluded from the possibility of being a disciple of Christ, if one nation, if one race is considered unworthy of being a disciple of Christ, then all is not all. All becomes some. And Jesus did not say some. He said all. Therefore... Those who are doing the excluding are simply living in sinful disobedience to this command of Christ. Revelation chapter 7 gives an even more vivid picture of what Jesus calls all nations here. This is a vision that Jesus gave to the apostle John. Chapter 7 of Revelation, verses 9 and 10. After this, I, John, looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Did you hear that? Robes, palm branches, shouts of worship before the king, their king. Look at the unmistakable similarities between this vision and revelation and this Palm Sunday parade. On Palm Sunday, people were doing the same thing. They were submitting themselves, bowing before Christ as their king. They were bowing, spreading their robes on the road before him, waving their palm branches. They, too, were crying out, Hosanna to the son of David, Hosanna in the highest. Palm Sunday and the vision and revelation are practically the same, except for one striking an unmistakable dissimilarity. On Palm Sunday, Jesus' parade does not consist of every nation, all tribes, peoples, and languages. This is not a racially or 
nationally diverse parade. The celebrants in Jesus' parade are from one nation, Israel. They are of one race, the Jewish race. Now, this omission or this exclusion is even more striking given the fact that in the Old Testament book of Daniel, written over 500, maybe 600 years before this Palm Sunday parade took place, this vision in Daniel includes uh, a vision that, that the Lord gave to Daniel. And here's the vision, Daniel chapter 7. Daniel says, I saw in the night visions, and behold, the clouds of heaven. With the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man, and he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. So, sandwiched between this all-inclusive vision that the prophet Daniel has and this all-inclusive vision that the apostle John has is this exclusive Palm Sunday Parade. Now, you know I'm speaking the truth. When I say in our day, even today, somewhat attempt to have Jesus' parade permit pulled because Jesus couldn't demonstrate diversity and equity and inclusion. And listen, make no mistake about it. I would not have been included in this Palm Sunday parade. You would not have been included in this Palm Sunday parade. So, should we be offended? Should we sign a petition to stop the parade? Well, yes. If, if we believe that we are wiser than Christ. If we believe that our timing is more accurate than Christ's timing. If we believe that our plan is better than Christ's plan. And if we believe that our limited power is greater than his omnipotent power to bring about change. If those things are true, then yes, protest the parade. If, however, we do not believe those things, if we choose to bow before Christ and to his will and to his way, then we will rise above the chaos and confusion. Then we'll, we will be able to lead the way to something much more beautiful. Then we will insist more than that. We will demand this parade must go on. You know why? Because Jesus sees the bigger picture. Jesus sees the perfect picture and he knows exactly how to complete it. I want you to listen to what Jesus said to the exact same 11 disciples that he commissions now to go into all the world. Back in Matthew chapter 10, Matthew lists for the first time all 12 apostles by name. Of course, Judas is not in uh, the, the, the present company. But as soon as Matthew lists the names of all the apostles in verse 4, in verse 5, we immediately read that these 12 Jesus sent out instructing them, go nowhere among the Gentiles 
and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Jesus is excluding from the teaching and the healing ministry of the apostles everyone except the people of Israel. Jesus makes other exclusive statements like this. Jesus does exclusive acts. He excludes people from both his teaching and his healing. So how can it be? How can this be the same every nation, tribe, tongue, language, Jesus, who gave visions to Daniel and to John? The answer is that Jesus sees the bigger picture. He knew that he had to succeed. He must succeed in his mission to the Jews in order for the entire world to be saved because that's what God said must happen. So listen, have faith in Christ. (laughs) Bow before him, submit to his will and to his wisdom regardless of what we think. Any other behavior of Jesus than the behavior he displayed, even more inclusive words and inclusive actions would require us to scrap the entirety of the plans of the Old Testament and the beauty of the promises that God made there. But Jesus wouldn't do that. Jesus said, for I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who has sent me has given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. So here is Palm Sunday, Jesus, bowing before the will of his Father. Jesus' actions prove that God is faithful. They prove that God does not make promises that he cannot keep. They prove that God never decrees a plan that is faulty or that must be changed. Jesus bowed before the will of God. He went first and exclusively to the people of Israel to make them a people ready and redeemed so that then through them, the nations of the world could be blessed. That's what God promised. Abraham, Genesis 12, in you, the father of the Jewish nation, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. It is precisely because Jesus is not racist, that he loves people from every tribe, tongue, and nation equally, that he hones in on and focuses and excludes in his ministry so that then, according to the plan of God, not the plan of any other person or group, but then every tribe, tongue, and nation shall be blessed. On Jesus' last night, with the disciples in the upper room. He talked to them. He told them, you're going to do greater things, greater things than what you have seen while you've been with me. We think of Jesus' life except for the brief time when he was a boy and and they fled to Egypt. Jesus never really left uh, uh, Israel. He just traveled in and about Israel. These disciples are going to go throughout the whole world. Jesus considers that to be a greater thing. But in order for that to happen, Jesus had to be exclusive. 
because that was the Father's plan for him. And so he bowed for that plan that he might rise above and lead the way to something more beautiful. Now, the reason I say all this is because just as Jesus submitted to the will of his Father, so we must submit to Christ. Just as Jesus allowed his Father to set his agenda, so we must allow Jesus to set the agenda for us. We must not allow the news cycles, special interest groups, or elected officials to set that agenda. And as long as the Lord gives me breath, and you might pray that's not much longer, but as long as the Lord gives me breath, I'm going to keep saying it. We got to bow down so that we might rise above the chaos and confusion and so that we might lead to something more beautiful. If Jesus says making disciples of all nations is what we must do, then first and foremost, we must make disciples of all nations. If Jesus calls us to do something that our chaotic and confused world labels or decries or hates or cancels or punishes, we've got to be willing to do that thing. Listen to what Jesus knew. He said, you will always have the poor among you. You'll always have the poor among you. Does that mean that Jesus thinks that poverty is good? I can't answer that question because I don't know how God might use poverty in someone's life to bring about a really, really good and beautiful result. But I can say this, that Jesus acknowledges that the poor will always be with us. Does that mean we should ignore poverty? Does that mean that we should act in ways that perpetuate it? No. It does mean this. No matter what we do, we will never eradicate poverty in a world as sinful and greedy and prideful as ours. It does mean that there's something worse and something more devastating than physical poverty. And that's spiritual poverty. And so we, we bow before Christ. We submit to his way and his will. And we go and make disciples of all nations because the more and more disciples of Christ that populate this entire earth, the less poverty there will be because inside each individual disciple of Christ is a heart of compassion and a heart of generosity. Jesus speaks poignantly of the least of these, my brothers. The least of these will always be a reality in this world. And all of us are going to give an account to God about how we treated and interacted with the least of these. So many factors intersect in lives of individuals that cause them to be categorized as the least of these. We can't eradicate all those factors, but we can bow before Christ and submit to his will. We can make disciples. We can. So that there'll be more and more people throughout this world to minister 
to the least of these. And to all the factors that make them the least of these. We hear so much today about equity of outcome or equality of outcome. You cannot make it happen in this world. And you know what? Jesus didn't even practice it. Jesus healed some people, but he didn't heal all people, even though not healing all people might have required the strength of the Holy Spirit to restrain him from doing what he wanted to do in his heart and what he will someday do. He will make all of us healed. Is that good news? But not now and not yet. That's not what the Father had sent him to do. Do we cancel him for that? Do we reject him for that? Jesus brought some back to life, but he didn't bring all back to life. He stood by the body of that young man and that little girl, and he said to them, rise, and they rose. He stood at the tomb of the four-day dead Lazarus and said, come forth, and Lazarus came forth. Jesus brought some back to life, but he did not bring all back to life, even if it required the restraining power of the Holy Spirit himself to restrain Jesus from doing what he wanted to do and what he will someday do, behold. I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable. Is that good news? But not yet. For now, it's some and not all. Shall we cancel Jesus for the inequality and outcome? Shall we reject him for it? No. But we shall bow before our king, submit to his will and his way for our lives so that we might rise above, so that we might lead the way to something beautiful. And listen, not only did Jesus not practice equality of outcome, he didn't experience it. Jesus lived a perfect life. We can't even comprehend it. No sin was found in him. None. And wherever our beautiful Savior went, he lavished grace and compassion. He touched diseased people that no one else would touch. He welcomed those to come near to him that everyone else rejected. What a beautiful Savior. And what was the outcome for his perfection, for his compassion, for his love, for his grace? They crucified him. Where's the equity in that? But Jesus, like a sheep before its shearer, did not open his mouth. He did not protest. He died. And he's the one saying, go and make disciples of all nations. He did not call us to go and make all things equal or make all things equitable. That would be a frustratingly impossible task. We would give up in defeat. Jesus does say to go and make disciples of all nations. That task is not frustratingly impossible. You know why? 
because that task comes with all the authority of Christ. The all nations in this command is partnered with all authority. Jesus says, I have it. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. And it comes with the always presence of Jesus. Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the earth. Jesus wants every nation, tribe, people, and language to be part of the palm, branch, waving, worshipers in heaven because he values people of every nation, tribe, people, and language. So then we should bow to his will. We should go and make disciples so that they will be part of the palm-waving worshipers of heaven. That's the reward. Right there is the equity of outcome enjoyed by all, worshiping at the feet of Jesus. And that, by the way, that's the better way, the more beautiful thing to which I've been referring. That's the thing to which we are leading people, every people, every nation, every race, together in perfect unity. That's something this world has never seen. It's something this world will never see. But guess what? Jesus has already seen it, hasn't he? Jesus has already seen it. He's seen it, he knows it, and he sees the beauty of it. And so he's done everything to make that beautiful moment possible, not through hate, not through destruction of other things and other people. No, never. Instead, through love, his love for us. Instead of through allowing his own body to be destroyed on the cross. And so we bow down. We submit to Christ, to his will and to his way so that we might rise above the chaos and confusion of this world and lead people to something better and more beautiful. I'm almost finished. (laughs) Praise God. Operation World. Operation World considers itself to be the definitive prayer guide for the nations of the world. Some of you may have heard of it. Some of you may use it. But it lists all the countries of the world and their population and their prayer needs. Kathy and I got our first copy of Operation World in 1987. So yesterday I went to Operation World's website and I just randomly clicked on a country, the country of Yemen. Now Yemen Uh, is the place where the Queen of Sheba ruled and reigned. You remember Queen of Sheba and and Solomon and all that. Well, now, Yemen is a country of 24,255,928 people, over 24 million. As best they can count, Yemen has only 4,275 people who are disciples of Jesus. And so without the presence of the gospel and without the power it brings to change, without the gospel outlook on humanity and the desire that it gives to help and to serve, it's not a surprise that Yemen suffers from poor health care, low levels of education, and economic underdevelopment. Now, let's put that in perspective. The Charleston Peninsula, 
upon which we now sit has a population of roughly 35,000 people. And there are roughly 80 churches, 80 churches just on the peninsula. So let's do the math. In Yemen, there is one disciple of Christ, one, for every 5,673 people. One believer for every 5,673 people. On the peninsula of Charleston, there is one church with multiple disciples of Christ, over 200 of them here at Redeemer. So there's one church for every 437 people. Now that seems to be a glaring inequality in opportunity to hear the gospel. The only thing that will bring true hope and change in this world and life in the next for the rich and the poor, for the greatest and for the least. Now, even though the term equal opportunity is currently an anathema to our culture, it's not to Jesus. And it's not to those that he loves and those he's calling around the world. They are praying. They are praying that we will see the inequity of opportunity, that we will be convicted by the inequality of opportunity to hear the gospel because their lives and the lives of others depend upon our seeing and being convicted by the inequality of opportunity. We need to go and make disciples of all nations got to bow before Christ so that we can rise above, rise above the chaos and confusion and lead the way to something beautiful. We've got to take the privileges that God has given us and thank him for them and make use of them like the disciples did. That's what this little band of 11 Middle Eastern guys did. They had privilege. They were privileged to know Jesus. They were privileged to follow Jesus. They were privileged to be called an apostle of Christ. They were privileged to be indwelled by the Holy Spirit of God, and they were not ashamed of that privilege. The apostle Paul writes, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God and salvation to everyone, everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So come on, come on. Let's not panic Let's be palms, Sunday Christians. Let's bow before Christ. Submit our lives to his will and his way so we can rise above the crazy chaos and confusion and lead people to something more beautiful. And please, please, let's see the world as Jesus sees it. A place, in every place, to unfurl the good news of the gospel of Christ and to make disciples of all nations. Let's pray. Father, we are by nature rebellious people. We are by nature self-centered people. That's one reason you came, Lord, to break our rebellion and to turn us away from self-centeredness. But nevertheless, we are, Lord. We like our will and our way. We prefer it often to your will and your way. Change us now, we pray. Lord, help us to see your will, your way for our lives, to bow before it, to submit to it. We pray, Lord, that we would let you set the agenda. Father, we pray that we would not allow the world and its agenda to turn us from you or for your will for us, to criticize, to condemn it, to cancel it, because it's not 
What we approve or it doesn't fit the agenda of the day. No, Lord, make us other than that. Make us bold. Make us powerful. Uh, let, let the incessant uh, pounding against your will and your way roll off our backs, Lord, so that we stand strong and mighty for you. Bowing before you. Rising above the chaos and confusion. Lord, uh, convict us. We want to lead people to something more beautiful. That something is you and eternal worship of you in heaven. Lord, give us eyes to see the need around the world. There are some in this room. Lord, who knows? Maybe you're calling them to go to a place like Yemen. Somebody needs to go. And here's the good news, Lord. You're sovereign. Somebody's going to go. Somebody's going to make that decision, Lord. Somebody's going to say, I'm going to leave this place. I'm going to leave my family. It doesn't make sense, but I'm going. I don't know why. Yes, it's because it's the work of your spirit. So someone's going to go. We thank you for that. Uh, Lord, may we be people who are willing and open to your call. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.